Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to welcome as our guest today, Jesse Hemango. Jesse is a produce retail leadership veteran whose career to this point has included tenures at Fresh Time Market, Gordy's Market, Spartan Nash, and Cub Foods. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ashley. It's good to talk. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's give you an easy one here to get going. How did you first get started in produce? Uh, you know, I'm actually second generation is kind of how it started. So uh, my father was uh, in retail, grocery retail specifically. And so while I was in high school, that was the natural uh, trend was to work part time, bagging groceries, stock and produce, stock and dairy frozen, grocery, et cetera. Um, at at uh, a chain where my father had uh, started our work. So that was kind of the natural in. And then um, I was going to college full-time and I was working full-time as a produce manager at the age of 19. So uh, it was uh, an intense uh, beginning, but uh, a lot of experience from a very young age and a lot of uh, great experience and a lot of great mentors uh, along the way at all those uh, corporations you just mentioned. So, Wow, that's... Uh... T- tell me a little bit about managing a department at age 19, because at that point, you're probably <laughs> managing people older than you. I mean, that's a thing in and of itself, right? Yes, that that brings some awkward situations. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, at, the, at 19, it was for me, it was uh, lead by example for the most part. So I was definitely the hardest worker in the department. And you learn to manage uh, people better um, as you, you know, grow and mature. Uh, the the idea you can't do it all yourself type of type of a deal and depend on others and hold others accountable to expectations that kind of comes with a little bit of experience but um, uh, it was good um, I've learned a lot in my probably fifteen plus years as a produce manager uh, starting out at a young age so I was uh, blessed for sure wow what were some of the foundational things that that stick with you most from from that part of your career. Um, you know, work ethic, uh, for sure. I, I can remember, um, you know, going 120 miles an hour that stands out to me vividly. You know, I, I'll never forget, you know, the overwhelming feel it was at a, a, a bigger box retailer. So you know, there's a lot of uh, square footage on the retail sales floor and your labor situation isn't always conducive to cover everything. So if the whole team really isn't flying at hundred miles an hour, um, I can remember walking into a cooler full of, you know, pallet loads and, you know, a department that has a lot of work to do. And, you know, that's overwhelming at times, but um, it was fun to overcome that with um, good teammates. The The better teammates you have, uh, the more enjoyable work is and the more you get things done efficiently. So, you know, hard work, teamwork, collaboration, uh, that, those are kind of my early experiences. And how have you found it's helpful for, I don't know the right way to ask this kind of the the workflows or like the processes for for what you want different employees doing in the department so that you get to enjoy some of that camaraderie so that even if things are a little crazy you still have like the enjoyment of working with with people (laughs) yeah i know everybody tends to go towards what they're good at in the produce department so you know in within the produce department you've got a five deck specialist you've got the guy that loves hand stacking apples you got the guy that loves working the wet rack and he's skilled at it. So, you know, people have tendencies to go back towards those things. So as a leader, you, you want to take advantage of those tendencies, but there's also times where 
you know, the wet rack guy's got to go do the potato and onion table at times too. So uh, there's that natural, uh, you know, I always treated it more as a democracy. I'd be like, all right, hey guys, there's three of us. We got these three sections. Who wants what? And as long as I was willing to do whatever, uh, I think they appreciated that. And uh, they would kind of pick what they would want. And I would just pick up whatever was left. And as long as the department was taken care of and customers were taken care of, that's really the, the key goal um, as a leader in the produce department. Because as you know, produce is highly uh, impulsive. So if it displays, you know, half empty, you kind of got that one can on the shelf or the last hot dog in the bowl type of syndrome where, you know, you will not get a sale out of that. So uh, it was important, especially in produce or especially you could say in perishables in general, uh, that you have uh, good conditions and standards for customers to shop from. I was thinking about the the impulse nature of produce just the other day because I was finally in a grocery store. I've been doing a lot of the online shopping because as I, I was telling okay. you before we started our call, with the twins, we haven't totally figured out uh, the grocery situation if I'm by myself, right? It's a little sure. tricky. So, um, but I got my husband to come along the other day. And so all four of us were going through, going through the produce department. All right. And it was just so amazing, the difference in my basket and the produce part of it in particular, when I'm shopping online, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll get the same things I usually do. Maybe they're out of them, in which case they may or may not get replaced by something else. But when I'm actually walking through the department, I'm like, oh, well, this looks good. Oh, well, this is in season. Oh, well, this is really convenient that yeah. I wasn't thinking about. And before you know it, I've got $50 worth of produce in my basket, yep. you know, compared to whatever it would have been online. And and it's the merchandising that makes that happen. Absolutely. You you buy produce with your eyes. And in fact, you know, I've been at a couple companies and I uh, had been uh, blessed with the experience to kind of be a part of the e-com rollout or build, if you will. And once those, once e-com is launched, what you see is you see major gains in grocery, dairy, frozen meat is about flat. Produce legs way behind in those e-com launches. And it's exactly like you just described it because there's no way you can tell how big or how good the grapes are when you're online. There's no way uh, to know when you're shopping online when the Vidalia onion display is up. You only see those when you're in the store. So that remains an opportunity for produce retailers in general is how do you tell that story of Idaho potatoes, jumbo grapes, Vidalia onions, Florida sweet corn, et cetera, online um, without you know being there to see it, touch it, feel it, and uh, kind of get that impulse sale. So that's, uh, that's an opportunity that remains. Yeah. Well, I was... Uh when I have talked in the past with Armin Lobato, who you may be familiar with, he was a produce manager for, for many, many years and, and wrote a weekly column for the Packer. And I've had him on the, the podcast a, a time or two or three or four. <laughs> and he always said, you know, it's not scientific, but I've swept up a lot of floors in the produce department. And when I look at the list, you know, they may have specific brands or things for other parts of the store, but in produce, it's usually fruit and stuff for a salad. It's just that general. So they're open, you know, to suggestion and to ideas. And, um, you know, there's there's so much opportunity there. So it really is. It's yeah. I always feel like obviously being biased by the people that I've talked with. But the investment in in people to, to really make all that shine is always a good one, I think. Absolutely. The power of persuasion, a.k.a. merchandising. It's uh, it's one of the departments, you know, meat department. There's a little bit of artwork left in that and how you're cutting and how you're displaying, but 
produce truly is one of the last departments that there's a lot of art uh, that kind of goes into uh, uh, the day-to-day -day passion of, of merchandising. So it's uh, it's unique. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, your, your years in, in the department, managing a department. You were also a produce specialist at Spartan Nash. Tell me a little bit about what that role entailed. Yeah, you know, a specialist role is a big jump from a produce manager role. So that was, a, you know, an opportunity to go multi-state, multi-store, uh, go through many uh, grand openings, remodels, uh, resets, et cetera. So by the time I had uh, got an opportunity for that position, um, I had done some of that through some of my uh, mentors at my past company. So, you know, it wasn't totally uh, new, uh, but being able to uh, talk to people higher level, uh, talk about the industry, talk about merchandising company-wide, you know, talk about, you know, financial specific with each department uh, was right up my alley. You know, that 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 alley was started from kind of a passion to uh, merchandise and a flair for merchandising and uh, kind of gets you, ropes you into other things like finan financials, uh, training, putting programs, planograms, et cetera, together. So it was a, it is a big jump, but it was a very enjoyable uh, jump. Fortunately, I was younger because I had to spend a lot of time on the road. So you know, I, I remember waking up in uh, different cities, different hotel rooms, thinking, you know, I'm going left to the bathroom and I walk into a wall. It was supposed to be right because you thought you were in a different room. All that happens. <clears throat> so it, it's uh, it's definitely a, a younger person's game or somebody that's built to travel. So um, I'm glad that I had that opportunity. And I'm also glad that I've moved on from those years as well. So that's too funny. Well, and Jesse, you mentioned the financials and that part to me is is so interesting because um and I'm I'm guessing there's different degrees to which, you know, in different in different uh, store groups, you know, companies put their produce manager in the loop on the full scope of financials and, and mm -hmm. things like that. Um but it is like you described the merchant merchandising part of it is so artistic and yet you've got the the money side of things over here yes. that you have to learn yeah. as well. D yep. Describe a little bit your road of like when you when you started to learn about different pieces of that and how you kind of educated yourself or, or were educated in that part of things. Yeah, so I can't really take any credit for that. You know, business acumen is you know some people uh, are perhaps more inclined to it, but more or less that's something that's kind of learned over time. So it was great that I had great specialists as a produce manager that. Um, you know, my goal as a produce manager when you're young is, hey, I want to be in stock on everything all the time at the expense sometimes of shrink. So that's where the specialist would come in and he'd help you tow that line kind of between inventory on hand and turn. So then that's kind of the art that you grow into. So, you know, for me, merchandising was my number one drive. You know, pleasing that customer was my number one drive. Um, and then kind of learning the backhand or the second, the other side of the coin, if you will, on how to manage inventory, what to take risks on, what not to take risks on, you know, hardier commodities that you should never run out of. And then there's, you know, highly perishable commodities, grapes, berries, et cetera. Peppers would be another one where you want to cut those as close as possible, not missing any sales. Um, and then just right sizing, you know, your, uh, your sales floor, uh, y'all never forget, you know, sometimes you get so ingrained actually in the habit of this is what we do and bulk russet potatoes are this wide and, and, uh, 
I'll never forget one day, uh, I think it was my assistant came up and he's like, you know what? We throw out a lot of rusted potatoes. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? We do. We green a lot of them. He's like, I'm going to put this dummy in. It's going to hold half. It'll look the same. And we shrank out a lot less. So, you, you know, it takes, uh, you have to take a step back sometimes to realize, you know, what's going on in your surroundings. So the people that are intuitive and they're paying attention to the details, and that comes with experience and time, uh, they catch on to those things really quick and they find ways, the good ones, find ways to keep the display looking great without uh, having the inventory in the shrink. And that's really what the, the balancing act between the two it really is. And, you know, now you see the industry advancing far beyond where it was in my dinosaur age of coming up through paper order guides. And now there's, you know, digital order guides, iPads, uh, artificial intelligence order writing that will recommend orders. And all you're really doing is managing the inventory of the app. That's where the industry is going. So, you know, dinosaurs such as myself that used to pen and paper stuff, uh, those days are uh, quickly uh, disappearing. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the the automated ordering because I that's such an interesting thing to me because I thought, well, it probably does. You know, you have certain things that are very consistent and, you know, you, you can check a box, right? And, and yep. just adjust for special occasions and things like that. What's been your experience with kind of the role that that technology can play and, and what has to sort of be in place foundationally, you know, for that to, to work well? Yeah, you know, initially... Um that towards the tail end of my produce manager career, there was some of that was beginning to emerge. And I was a little bit skeptical at first because it's like, you know, how can, how can software know better than me? You know, I had, I had my orders down to the case. You know, it was a game to me. I, there were certain sections that I would try to perfect. And in other words, you know, the next day after sales and, and the truck was gone, the shelf was full, the back room was empty. And I was actually surprised how accurate AI can be. It has to be very specific AI because a lot of the AI that's out there, it's meant for groceries. You know, it's perpetual inventory. You got 10 cans, uh, it, 12, it predicts you're going to sell six. It's going to order another six pack. You know, it's, it's very uh, just in and out based exactly like that. There is becoming more and more fresh based, which is great to see where it still is inventory uh, controlled in what's in and what's out. Uh, but there's uh, there's a little bit of alleviation in there where you can adjust up, you can adjust down. It's more so about how you're taking your inventory and how you're managing your shelf uh, or what we call is uh, uh, display capacity. So as long as your, your display capacity is set right in the, in the software and you're taking uh, good inventories, it will predict a fairly accurate order for it. So um, it's it's come a long ways in the last, I would say, probably 10 years, specifically the last five, it seems like uh, certain companies have grown le leaps and bounds in that area. So it's good to see some tech for fresh because everything prior to that was really meant for grocery and it was kind of a square peg and a round hole for the fresh guys. So mm -hmm. that's, good. that's so interesting. Well, and I guess another thing where, you know, technology and certainly data has been used for a long time, probably, you know, continuing to uh, evolve at a high rate of speed, I think, is the area of category management. And I know that that's something that um, you have done it at Fresh Time, um, yeah. focusing on that for a few years before you 
moved into that as assistant director of produce role. Um, tell me a little bit about just broad strokes category management, and then we'll dive sure. in a little further from there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you know, category management is something that I kind of grew into from uh, be, being a specialist where, you know, be, prior to that as a produce manager, you're taking the you know, salad planogram and you're going and you're implementing it. And, you know, I got, you know, good enough at it to where my bosses would call me and say, hey, you know, you did that new set, right? Hey, what's uh, what are the pros and cons and ups and downs? What do you like? What do you not like in there? Um, so I got to kind of grow into it from that aspect. And then as a specialist, I got to dabble in that side as well. So by the time I did make it uh, into the category management side, I was pretty well versed in all those things, which is really cool. But your main three levers that you have to pull as a category manager is assortment is number one. So you're controlling the assortment, you're controlling the price and promotion, and then you're controlling the merchandising spot or space. So there's there those are the three things that you focus on that are really in your control. Um, and there's different details that go with each one of those levers. And then depending if we're talking about, you know, line goods like dressings and salads, you know, those schematics can get very, very detailed, right? You want your best sellers or anchors, you want them in corners or up on the top shelf or down in the bottom where you know people are going to find those. And then you want items that you're trying to sell for whatever reason. A, it's either slower uh, it's a higher retail. Uh, you've got a better margin on it. You want all those at eye level. So uh, kind of going about it from from that aspect, uh, from uh, you know planogram or schematic foot, footprint point, um, that's kind of your approach. And you can make a big difference in items just by simply moving them around. Uh, retails come into play big time. Uh, you know, an example would be, you know, we've gone through a lot of inflation in the last, you know, two and a half, three years. It's been pretty crazy. Um, one of my best sellers in one of my past stops has always been a $5, 16-ounce organic salad. People love the price point, big $5 sticker. It was just easy to grab. I doubt a lot of people even used all 16 ounces. It would usually go bad in my fridge before I'd get to it all. Uh, as soon as we had to break that $5 mark, it was amazing how people gravitated towards other smaller price point units. So there's, you know, that comes into play. That's your pricing and assortment, which is, all right, hey, if this is going to be a value, it's a higher price point, what's the trade-off point where people will trade down? So you always want to tighten your retails as closely as possible to entice that trade up to maximize your dollars. Um, and then, of course, merchandising, you know, commodities versus line goods. Um, you know, that's a whole other story where, uh, as we talked about earlier in the segment, it's it, people buy with their eyes. So highly impulsive items like grapes and berries, you want to get those out in front of people. Um, as a category manager, those were your biggest gain or lift items that you would see in dollars if you could display them in a secondary location. So um, all those three levers kind of come into play with category management. That's fascinating. We'll need to have you back to talk just about category management at some point. Sure. Just put that out there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime, anytime. Super. Well, one thing I do want to go a little further on is when you when you were talking about the point at which people trade down, right? It's like yes. just that that tipping point on the price. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking back to my my college economics classes and willingness to pay. You know, being yeah. one of the things we talk about and price elasticity and and things like that, and 
I'm curious, like, what kind of data did you have or or did you look for, whether that was internal or third party, to kind of understand, like, okay, this is the point at which people flip the switch and we see a big old drop in sales yeah. or a big increase in sales going the other direction, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, actually that's part art and part science. You know, there's, you know, we keep uh, pretty close records on, hey, this is what we sell when we advertise at two for six, two for five, two for four, two for three, et cetera, et cetera, multiple versus single. So, I mean, we'll, as a category manager, you are throwing a lot of darts. So you're trying to dabble. But the good thing is, is that you're learning from what you're doing and you're seeing trends. So an example would be, you know, a certain chopped salad. Uh, we used to advertise it at two ninety nine. And then we ended up switching to like a, what was it? A three for three for nine. I think it was basically the same, same retail. We sold 10, 11% more at three for nine than we did at the single price point. So you're trying to find items uh, that are multiple good in multiples. And then you're trying to find that, Hey, where am I going to max my dollars out? So that's, that's some of the, the science uh, behind it. And then the other part that's just art is, um, and this is coming into play today with the current economic situation that we're in and massive amounts of inflation going on out there, there's a lot of customers that are looking to trade down. So an example would be a lot of people are trading out of Honeycrisp. They're going and buying a Gala or a Fuji, a good eating apple that's 50 cents a pound cheaper, a dollar a pound cheaper. So, you know, as a category manager, then when you see that trend arising, you want to go in and you want to tighten your retails a little bit. You might want to take your base Gala Fuji up 10, 20 cents, and you may want to take your Honeycrisp down 10, 20 cents and see if you can still get a little bit of that trade-off and wash uh, ultimately your units and your dollars are really what you're watching there. And then shrink, of course, comes into play in perishables where it doesn't in grocery. So you have mm -hmm. to you know, be mindful of of shrink. So it's kind of part art, part, part science. You're seeing a lot of that right now. Another example is... Uh, Colored bell peppers. That's a category that's suffering right now. People are trading down into green. So it's another category where you're going to look at those, the green versus your colored retail, and you're going to tighten that up is, is to where it makes sense to try to entice people uh, to trade up and buy, spend an extra you know, 20 cents, 50 cents on a red bell instead of a green bell. So there's a lot of that going on right now. Well, and that's something that I wondered about, Jesse, in terms of those those examples you mentioned. Obviously, I know you'll have things like that all across the department. And I know that then when you evaluate, you know, is this a price that works? You're looking not only at, you know, the the sales and the the unit movement of that particular item, but what's happening in the broader category? Are we seeing cannibalization? You know, or how, how I, I guess I'm trying to ask, how many of those kind of projects are you watching at the same time? And how deep do you look with each one? I mean, it seems like a whole lot going on. <laughs> there is, there, there is a lot. Um, and, you know, a, tr a trick that you can't, you can't look at everything all the time. You know, it's just, it's too much. It's too much data. So if you're focusing on your, some of your winners, winning categories and okay, hey, why, why are these doing well right now? And then you focus on your, you know, bottom five, bottom 10 categories and really get granular. And then sometimes there's something, um, you know, in a category that's winning that you can say, hey, all right, this, it's, we're winning because of whatever it is, 
Maybe it's a brand, maybe it's size or spec, maybe it is price point driven or market driven. Um, and then see if you can you know, apply that to categories that are struggling. So a, a struggling category and talking to a lot of people in the industry, Apple's, and we already talked about you know, some of the reasons why people are trading down uh, right now. Um, and then it doesn't help that Washington had a bad year. So they're tight. Michigan's kind of wrapping up um, and everybody's really down. Freight is really high out of Washington. So it's driving costs up. So it's a it's a double downer year for the Apple guys. And that translates to tough for the retailers. So, you know, one of the things that we do is exactly like we said, we're tightening up retails. We're enticing people to upsell into Honeycrisp. Uh, we're trying new varieties of apples. We've tried Cosmics, Envies, Kikus, Korus, um, all these different varieties to try to add a little excitement to the category and entice uh, customers to kind of shop that category. So it's, you know, it's worked to the extent of we've been able to shore up that gap, uh, but only so much where, you know, you're still, you're still going to be down in the category. But as long as you're taking that approach to trying to get the most out of any situation, um, that's what continues to push re retail and retail value north. So that's, you know, that's the goal of a category. And as, as you evaluate different SKUs in, in a given category, what kind of time frames do you look at? Whether it's something new that you're trying to see, is this going to work? Is this going to be a good addition? Yes. Whether it's something that maybe has been there for a while and you're like, how much longer do I want to hang on to it? You know, <laughs> how long do you kind of sure. wait? What's that cadence look like? You know, it, it definitely takes weeks for a lot of things to kind of, you know, register with customers. Mm -hmm. um, so sure. you know, as a rule of thumb, at minimum of one month, it, and it kind of depends on what it is. If it's, you know, we brought in a, a new line of cut apples off to a super slow start the first couple of weeks. It was slowly gaining progress after one month, after two months, it's still gaining. So you just want to monitor it, make sure it's going in the right direction. If you got a month or a month plus under your belt and you're still not gaining any traction, it's usually when I kind of run out of patience and I'll pull the plug or I'll go back to the producer vendor and say, hey, you know, this isn't looking good. You got something to spice this up and get it on the road. If you know, if not, then we'll we'll pull the plug on on the mm -hmm. trial. But um, there's nothing wrong with trying and failing. If you never try and fail, then mm -hmm. you're not trying enough. So you're going to have plenty of failures out there. What have you seen in common with successful launches? Like whether it's point of sale material or whether it's you know, different things that maybe the supplier can assist on to try and set it up for success as much as possible? That's a tough question. I think it's a lot of different things and it's probably different for every kind of type of commodity, whether it's, you know, line-based or whether it's a fresh commodity driven, but um, definitely a driving trial. Driving trial is key. So, whether that's through sampling, which you're starting to see demos and sampling come back around. It, you, know, you haven't seen sampling in three years since COVID, right? So it, it's good to see some of that background. Uh, that is a great way to drive trial. Price obviously is the most simple way it's to launch those first three, four weeks with a great uh, price point to drive trial to uh, convince a customer, hey, this, this is only $1.99. I've never had it before at that price, I'll try it. So you want to drive as much trial as you can. And then if it's a unique item, so, you know, a, a new Apple per se, POS goes a long way because they want to know what is it? 
it's it's a blend of this and this and it tastes like this and it you know it, it's got the texture of that they want to know those things before they would pick up a you know 399 bag of apples so um pos material definitely uh, can go a long way the more you can tell that story to the customer um and that the avenues that a category manager has now to tell those stories you know now we have social media e-blasts there's all kinds of stuff you can do on e-com those are all new kind of uh tools if you will to help tell that story to the customer so we take advantage of you know all of those every opportunity that we have on any unique or new item just to drive that trial and drive that success. And I'm glad you mentioned kind of the overall marketing connection with this too, because I know that, and I believe it varies by retailer pretty broadly, but I know some of those are, are paid opportunities for suppliers and particularly yeah. with CPG and things like that. What, what kind of opportunity is there for Fresh, do you think, to get more engaged in those channels without breaking the bank, so to speak? That's, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, you know, it, it varies by company, too. There's, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years, there wasn't a lot of branding in produce. You know, I remember one of the first brands that, that kind of emerged was Fresh Express. Whoa, a packaged salad, right? So guys like that, they can, they can afford to, you know, pay, promote, and push. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of the commodities that are out there that I'm doing it out of my funding or out of my budget or I'm you know spending the margin to make that happen. So um, it, it's, a, it's still different from a lot of like the meat world. There's money out there and you have a lot of guys that'll buy or pay for the social media, et cetera. I still think that's an opportunity, although brands continue to emerge uh, in the produce produce industry and People do gravitate towards uh, brands like Palm Wonderful, Little Potato, uh, name it on the salad brand. Uh, there's, there is beginning uh, to have a lot of recognition and some traction on brands out there, which is good to see. So. Well, that's, that's interesting that you said too, Jesse, that you try to find ways to, to make that happen for, for the fresh suppliers, because that's something I've, I've thought is, well, it seems like it will behoove retailers given where margin comes from, right? It doesn't come from the grocery department. Like it doesn't oh. come from center store, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> like, are down a little bit. <laughs> yep. 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 Absolutely. So that's, um, that's, I think one of the benefits to being a category manager uh, or a director is you get to kind of, you know, pick and choose some of those stories that you really want to tell and then have the marketing, give them the details, give them, you know, the POS, give them some of the differentiation points. And then just let them have a field day on that story. And I think uh, that drives excitement out there. And that's cool to see something that uh, can kind of come out of nothing. So. Yeah. Now you probably, it sounds like maybe you did some of this in that produce category manager role as well, but then also as the assistant director of produce, how do you select? What are those stories that you want to tell? Because of course you can't tell them all. That's too much. That's overwhelming. <laughs> but how do you pick? Yeah. So, I mean, some of it could be, uh, you know, business driven as in I'm struggling in this category. I'm making a switch to this brand or I'm adding this assortment, right? That's one of those levers is assortment. And you'd be like, all right, Hey, I've added this assortment. I want to tell that story or in an environment like today too, where, um, you know, really a lot of customers are going to the value driven boxes. They're staying away from higher price, natural chain uh, types of environments. So, 
Um, you know, if you're a natural guy, an organic guy, you may want to try to tell a value story. So you may say, hey, let's pick on, you know, these organic segments that are really close to price to conventional segments. And let's tell, tell that story. You're going to get an organic product basically at the same retail that you would a conventional. So some of it's selfish internal. And then some of it, there's just cool items out there like dragon fruit that you want to tell people about it. You could sell 3,000 cases of dragon fruit where, you know, last year we sold zero dragon fruit or a couple cases of dragon fruit. So some of it is, hey, if this is cool, it's new, it's very impulsive. Let's see where the ceiling is, pink pineapple, you know, cool items like that. And then there's other stuff where, you know, it's more driven by business internally uh, where you're you're trying to make a statement or get something across uh, to a customer. And for me, those are really kind of the two deciding factors. Maybe a third you could say is brand. Uh, there is a lot of opportunity, especially with like family brands, like uh, a brand like uh, Braga Fresh. Uh, that's a great family, third, fourth generation story to tell. Great brand, great brand recognition. That's a fun story to tell to our customers. So um, some of it comes down to brand as well. Very neat. And when you move from, from produce category manager into that assistant director produce role, what what kind of broadened as far as responsibilities and things you're involved in? Like, tell us a little bit about that role. It means, Ashley, in the simplest form, you're in more meetings is what it means. <laughs> so well, I got the uh, unfortunate opportunity to follow Scott Schutte, who is a great mentor of mine. And I got to pick up a lot of his desk when he left. So the 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 hardest part is leaving your desk and growing into somebody else's and the only way that can really happen is if somebody's behind you uh picking up your desk as well so it really comes down to to team um and then just being able you know if the higher you get and you know it, i don't want this to come across the wrong way but you can only be so far down in the weeds because you need to ultimately stay top level so you can pick those top level directions to go to if you're you know in a director position and you're you know still playing category manager down in the weeds that's not conducive for the business you have to have uh, both roles uh, filled together so scott had some massive shoes to fill and i jumped in those the best that i could how about that <laughs> well you, we talked about this earlier too but you know you have a fellow fan of scott shooty here <laughs> all right I'll join anytime. I'll join Mr. Smashmoody anytime. Awesome. Well, and I, well, first of all, when you describe that transition of, and you, you just, you do, you have to focus on the higher level stuff. You, you don't have the time and it gets in the way of the people who work for you, right? To get into the weeds yeah. to some extent. Was yep. that a difficult adjustment, especially, you know, being in the weeds for in different places throughout your career? Yeah. So for me personally, we were trying to hire somebody to come in to replace myself in Chicago. And there was good candidates out there. There was good internal candidates um, out there. But to lure somebody to Chicago was very difficult. Taxes, property taxes, uh, you know, style of living to where, you know, you can't own acreage and horses uh, here unless you're, you know, coming up on uh, millions of dollars or something. So it was that was a challenge. So I honestly, I did both for probably about a year uh, before oh, wow. I was able to, to hire somebody in. Um, and then, you know, once you do hire somebody, it's a good, you know, six months to a year to fully transition. So those are difficult uh, transitions. And the better the shoes or the bigger the shoes, like Scott Shooties, the more difficult that is. So Scott's a hard act to follow. Uh, 
you know, other acts might be easier to follow, but Scott was a tough one. Cool. What are some of the things that, that you learned from Scott that have really informed kind of how you've gone about that role? <laughs> well, Scott's best advice to me was always, Jesse, don't screw it up. So uh, that's always stick with me throughout, throughout the ages. <laughs> Scott, um, Scott was never a micromanager. Scott was a macromanager. Scott would top level point me in the right direction uh, to chase things. And that's really what a true leader does is kind of um, coming up with the leadership, coming up with the direction pointing you in the in the right area and then letting that person you know go to town um, you know focusing on key performance indicators hey this is what we're trying to do we're trying to get units per transaction we're trying to grow transactions sales shrink etc um, making the that the financial uh, aspect of it clear too that's good leadership to have a you know clear goal with clear measurements on a clear timeline um, and Scott was really good at that so I uh, I always appreciated his leadership style. Being clarity, it's underrated, right? Yes. You know, simple. It's, it's a very simple industry when it really comes down to it, right? We're, we're selling food. We're putting food on the shelf. It's us that really makes it complex. And uh, it's funny, you know, somebody listening to a produce podcast like this who's not in the industry, how hard can it be? There is a lot of moving pieces that go on behind the scenes. There is a lot that goes from that item getting to the shelf and then putting it in a cart and making it through the front end, it's touching a lot of hands and going through a lot of deaths. So it's, um, uh, it truly is, it's a rewarding industry um, and it's, uh, it's fun to be a part of. Awesome. Well, Jesse, anything that you really wanted to talk about today that we haven't covered or anything I should be asking that I'm not? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot and uh, there's a lot more that we could still yet to cover because it is interesting times. You know, you look at the last three years, Ashley, you've had some feast, some famine, some ups, some downs, uh, and even depending on kind of what box you're in, in the grocery retail industry, they could have been opposite ups and downs at the same mm -hmm. time. So it's just, uh, you've really in the last three years, you've seen almost a lifetime of events, uh, which could be an episode of itself <laughs> absolutely well we will record that before too long so just just expect a, an email follow-up here before before long deal i'll take you up on it awesome well jesse thank you so much again for taking the time to join us want to thank our listeners as well for being with us today um we would ask everybody if you like what you hear just subscribe, rate, review. That helps us continue to grow and um, be able to, to further share the excellent insights of folks like Jesse and our other guests. And with that, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see y'all again next week on the Produce Retail Podcast. <laughs>